Welcome to the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Hi. Hi. I want you to tell me all of your deepest secrets just in a row. (laughs) That won't be uncomfortable, will it? All of my secrets in a row? Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, could you do it sequentially? Do you have, well, you only have four hours? (laughs) Exactly. When do you get a couple of days we can... uh, Spend we some start. time on the beach, and I'll tell you all about it. I would love that. But there's so much more to this. I call it just peeling back the onion. Exactly. Of, of the book, and there's so much in between that wasn't even written. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to talk about. Chapter 2. Well, you know, a friend of mine, I wasn't uh, very uh, friendly when I moved into into the Bronx. It was like enemy enemy territory to me. So I stayed in the house for for about a year. And then one day, one day, my mother brings a friend, uh, recruits a friend for me to hang out with, and it, it turned out to be my partner in music, Steve Weil, who uh, went to music and art high school, and he was a great musician and uh, saxophone player and. Uh, we just started singing together as a duet, and then one day we said, well, well, why don't we just form a group? So we interviewed some kids in the neighborhood from the Cedric Projects, basically where we all hang out, hung out, mm-hmm. and we got a group of kids together, and then we decided, or Steve's mother decided to get us on Ted Mack's original Amateur Hour. Right, but you and also had a mixed group, one of the first mixed groups, in the sense you had some African-American fellas in there, right? Yes, we had uh, two white guys, two white kids, mm-hmm. and three African-American kids. And uh, we recruited them from uh, one of the guys, Jackie Morgan. Uh, I, I knew him from the choir at, uh, at, at McCombs Junior High School. So I recruited him and uh, two other fellows that uh, lived in the projects. And we formed the, uh, we formed the group. There was, you know, there was, and... You know, I talked to somebody a couple of months ago, a kid, an African-American guy who is now in New York and he's in some musicals in Motown. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, why did you, you know, it would have been so much easier for you to to form a group that was all white so you would be, you know, fairly successful. He said, and I said to him, quite frankly, I was more interested in the quality of the voice than the color of the skin. And that was always the way it was. They would, these were just kids from the neighborhood. If you could sing you're in. If you can't, it doesn't matter what color you are, you're out. <laughs> exactly. And you were looking for the sound of the group itself, right? When you had yeah. the right guys, you knew the sound you wanted, right? Yep. Yeah. And then we went into the community center and the bathrooms and, uh, and, and the hallways and got our searching for an echo. And we found it. And then we got on the amateur hour. Uh, we were yeah, how did that come of- about? Well... We, uh, uh, Steve's mother was, uh, sort of our dead mother, and she decided that we should audition for the Amateur Hour. So the name of the group, we, we formed the group, it was called The Satellites, and we auditioned, and we made the cut for the first show, and we did, um, we did Little Darling by the Diamonds, as a matter of fact. And, uh, we, we actually won overwhelmingly that first, that first week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, we you came back, with- right? We came back because the winner of the show always has to come back for, uh, for you know, to defend their title. Uh, and if you win three times, then you get into the national uh, finals uh, where you can get a $2,000 scholarship. That was the reward. So we kept, but we came on the second time we came on. The winner of the show always, has to come, always comes on to defend their title at the end of the show. And all of a sudden, they put us on in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we did Come Go With Me uh, by the Del Vikings. And um, 
we had a fan club by then. There were there were screaming girls in the audience, uh, but we went on first, and we were, had about a two minute uh, piece. And then there was the kid from Mexico who was introduced by the by the son of the ambassador to the United Nations, and they gave this kid a ten minute spot. And I turned around to the guys and I said, "We're not going to win." <laughs> they said, "What do you mean? We're not going to win?" I said, "We're not going to win." This this kid was interviewed by um, you know and introduced by the son of the ambassador to the United Nations a ten minute spot. We lost, and sure enough, we lost. Um, but somebody from Ivy Records, Ed Portnoy, mm-hmm. uh, saw the show, and uh, he we met him at a at a uh, do up uh, talent show at the Sunnyside Ballroom in Harlem, and he met us there and invited us to go over and. Uh, audition for Ivy Records, and the rest is history. And it's interesting you mention Ivy, because Ivy was uh, part of uh, the career of the Elegance, too. Yeah, yeah. he was. Were they but there the same time you were? Yes, they were, and there's an interesting story about us and the Elegance. Well, we want those interesting stories, uh, Steve. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's always an interesting story, always a twist and turns. So, you know, we used to go out uh, to Ivy Records, and we used to sit in the in the reception area and wait for our turn to go in and, and practice our stuff that we were going to record. And in there were the Elegance and a couple of other groups and Bobby Hamilton was in in that. Yeah, Bobby recorded uh, there too, sure. Yeah, he recorded. And so we were all in the waiting room waiting our turn to, to, to do the practice sessions. And the Elegance was supposed to come and record with us uh, in the session when we did Dance, 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 and they never showed up. And we always wondered why. And it turns out that the managers of the Elegance didn't like the record deal that they were they were they were they were getting from Ivy Records, so they pulled them out of the recording session. Mm-hmm. So what happened then is uh, Ed Portnoy and, and Ivy sold our master to ABC Paramount, and it was supposed to be it was the initial release on APT Records, which is a division of AC, ABC Paramount. Right. At the same time, unbeknownst to us, the Elegance manager sold their a master because they went someplace else and they recorded Little Star, and they in turn sold their master to Ivy Records. I mean to ABC Paramount at the same time. What happened was they had the initial release of, of Dance Dance Dance. And you look at Billboard magazine, we were the top. And on in little letters on the bottom of this advertisement, it says also just released Little Star by the Elegance. Now have we all rec- we have we all recorded together? They probably wouldn't have, uh, again, been released on APT Records in the beginning. They may have, uh, you know, done it at, a, at another time. They happened to come out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fruit wanted to play our record and then stopped it for, for some unknown reason. Uh, the Elegance got a couple of more, um, got airtime, and, and the managers of the Elegance finally got them on bandstand, and we, we didn't get on bandstand. And the rest is history. So what exactly is the Amateur Hour? Ted Mack and the original Amateur Hour brought to you by Hazel Bishop Longer Lasting Cosmetics. Hazel Bishop, who tonight makes you one of the most sensational, friend-winning introductory offers of all time. So be sure to keep your pencil and paper handy. Details later. And now, here's the original Amateur Hour with your host, Ted Mack. Good evening, friends. 
Well, I see a lot of young folks in our audience here tonight, and that's just fine because we've got quite a few youngsters in our show this evening, all ready to bust out with some rock and roll or other teenage tempo, so let's get with them. Tonight, the Wheel of Fortune spins for the 1,122nd time. Round and round she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. We're going to uh, start with four lads with the rock and roll beat from the Bronx here in New York. One of them reminds me of the little fellow with the Scorvins. Do you remember the Scorvins, the, the uh, little boys who uh, chose the name of their group from the cover of a matchbox? <laughs> they went on to uh, quite some achievement here on Off the Amateur Hour. They made records, they made personal appearances, and looks to me maybe history could repeat itself. These are the four wins. All right, boys. To vote for any of tonight's contestants, it's as always. You dial Judson 6-7000. We have 50 operators at our switchboard all ready to take your calls. Out along the network, you send a postal card or a letter to Box 191 Radio City Station. But now, be sure you do it tonight. Let's make 1958 the best year these youngsters ever had. Ever had, And you can do it simply by taking the time out to do a little voting. Here's a contestant from Wheaton, Maryland. We heard about this young fellow from Bernie Harrison, the television critic down in Washington, D.C. He says that John here has quite a voice. This is John Donovan. What do you do for a living, John? I'm an electrician in Washington, D.C., Mr. Mack. Anyone else in your family musical? Yes, my father was a doctor of music at Georgetown University for 30 years. Well, you come by it honestly, don't you? <laughs> Have brothers or sisters? Yes, I'm one of a family of 11. That's quite a brood. You plan to be as big a family man as your dad? Well, I have two little girls of my own, Mr. Mack. Well, you got to run and start anyway. And uh, one on the way. Uh-huh. Well, you might catch up to him before you know it. <laughs> what about this uh, song you're going to do? What are you going to sing? Well, tonight I'm going to sing a song that one of your graduates, Mr. Jerry Bale, has made a big hit record of called Pretend You Don't See Her. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all pretty proud of Jerry. We remember very well when he was on the Amateur Hour. I imagine he felt about like you do. So let's see if the song is lucky for you. Go ahead. Pretend you don't see her, my heart, although she's 
Telephone number is Judson 67000 or Box 191 Radio City Station in care of Hazel Bishop. Um, as I told you last week, tonight's the last show in our current uh, series for Hazel Bishop Cosmetics. And as a sort of a farewell present to the friends of the Amateur Hour, the Hazel Bishop folks tell me that they're making you a really sensational offer. I hope you've got your pencil and paper handy because here it is. only, you get all four of Hazel Bishop's most popular, longer-lasting cosmetics for only one dollar. Hazel Bishop longer-lasting lipstick. Plus, Hazel Bishop complexion glow. Plus, Hazel Bishop compact makeup. Plus, the sensational new Hazel Bishop liquid makeup. Imagine, all four for only one dollar. Why, they'd cost you five dollars if you bought them in these regular sizes. But if you act right now... You get all four in generous introductory sizes for only one dollar. Just mail name, address, and dollar bill to Hazel Bishop, Box 82, New York 46, New York. And to get your right shade combination, be sure to tell us the color of your hair. But you must hurry, tonight or tomorrow, sure. Send your name, address, color of your hair, and dollar bill to Hazel Bishop, Box 82, that's Box 82, New York 46, New York. Isn't that terrific? All four of Hazel Bishop's longer-lasting cosmetics for only one dollar. Now, if you didn't have your paper and pencil handy, you better get it right now, because we'll repeat the exciting details again before we uh, come to the end of tonight's show. When I, when I sat down <laughs> to put all this together, I pointed out that it's sort of a time machine. And one of the things that's so highly interesting about this is that the satellites get their start on the original Amateur Hour, which was a radio and television program that ran from... So the, the radio part ran from the 30s, like 33 it gets started. It runs from 34 all the way to 1945. And then at that point, major... Edward Bowles, the guy, the, the guy that ran the Amateur Hour, he gives up the show, and he actually ends up dying in uh, 1946. But the show is brought to television by Ted Mack in 1948. And here's what, here's what it is in a nutshell. It's American Idol. It's like America's Got Talent or Star Search. Everywhere you want to start. Like, like these shows still exist today. 
But this is one of the original versions of it. And this version is, it really is a time machine. I got to go through all of these different years, specifically 1957, 1958, 1959, because those are years that are important to our story. And when you sit down and start going through it, you get to see like a really good idea of what the time and place is like. But where we're really lucky is that we had Steve. And Steve is a fantastic singer and songwriter, but he's a really good storyteller. And he remembers all of this. He remembers living this. And that part was invaluable to putting together the place and time of the movie. Well, so one of the things we discussed earlier was trying to get a sense of sort of the muscle behind some of the emotional muscle behind some of the events, mm -hmm. you know, and you wrote beautifully about what happened. And we want to know more, I think, about how it felt and how right. the relationships, the intricacies of the relationships in terms of your family, in terms of the, the group, the people you felt, you know, the, the point at which there were, I'm just doing a broad overview to start, but the points at which you felt sort of alienation, the points at which you felt like, I like that guy, but this one, you know, and of course it's not always gonna be on the record and, you know, forever, mm -hmm. you're gonna still have impunity around that, but just knowing it so we know sort of the emotional engine behind this. Right. Um, and so, if we're starting at the starty start, I would love to know more about how you found music in your, like what, okay. like, and what it feels like to you. Like what, when did, what it felt like when you found a home in music, when you discovered you loved it. Interesting, interesting. Um, my father used to bring home a lot of records mm -hmm. and, and, and play records for me. Um, and we, every, every Sunday we'd sit in front of the, the record player, which was in the living room, and he'd bring back, bring home the latest music, whether it was Broadway shows with mm -hmm. Ethel Merman or, or just uh, new songs that are coming out. So we had, I don't know where he got a constant supply of music, but he always used to bring it home. Mm. And I, I really started to empathize with, um, with, with the singers, mm -hmm. and, and and I started imitating the singers that he played that when he brought the records home. Uh, I remember as a kid, my exposure to music, uh, he, he used to listen to opera. So, um, you know, he, and it was live at the, at the Metropolitan Opera on radio because we didn't have television at the time. We just had the radio. Um, and um, I remember we were listening to opera one day, um, and they're, they're leading, they're taking the, the female lead off to jail because she just murdered Mm -hmm. the lead. And I, I turned around to my father and I said, where did they get all the replacement opera singers when they kill these people off? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's interesting the, the, the imagination you have as a kid. Absolutely. But I truly started to fall in love with music when I started to go to synagogue. Mm -hmm. um, my parents weren't religious, but they always insisted that I go to Hebrew school and eventually get be bar mitzvah. And I started, to, my best friend Stevie Scheinman, who lived down the street, uh, he used to take me to Temple when he went to Temple, especially on the high holidays, because my parents really didn't go. Mm -hmm. um, and we went in on the high holiday, and I heard the cantor singing Kol Nidre the first time, and I, I, I said, yeah, I, I, would, I wanted to be a cantor. Mm -hmm. But music for me was, um, it was my hiding place, because I, I had a pretty rough childhood, and my sanctuary began to be the music. When I sang my music or when I was into music or listening to music, it just took me to another place. And that's how I started to 
begin this journey with music and how it affected my life mm -hmm. um, until I started to record and, and get into show business and take it from there. But it, it was based on a lot of things that were going on in my family, especially with my father and, uh, and our treatment as, as my brother and I as treatment mm -hmm. in the house growing up and uh, the household we were into, which was totally dysfunctional. <laughs> so, bottom line, it was my escape. I had all sorts of things that were going on with me. I, mm -hmm. I you know, I had, I had, I was stuttering. Uh, I, I, it was bedwetting. I had problems going to school. I was actually um, kicked out of kindergarten. I was expelled from kindergarten. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a feat. <laughs> but I was kind of a wise ass. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember the time I was in kindergarten, and of course I was always the tallest kid in the class. And the teacher said, Glazer, I want you to come up here and show people how to climb a rope for, for a gym. We used to have the ropes in the gyms to climb up. So she hands, she goes over to the window, she takes on old, they had window poles to open the windows. Mm -hmm. She says, Glazer, I'd like you to climb up this window pole and show them how to climb up the rope. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, it's not a rope, it's a window pole. She said, I don't care what it is, I told you to climb up the window pole like a rope. I said, it's not a rope, it's a window pole, and I'm going to hurt myself. So she pulls me by the ear and she says, Glazer, I told you to climb up the window pole. She pulled me by the ear, I kicked her in the leg, I went down to the principal's office, I was, I was expelled from kindergarten. So, you know, this, this is Steve's story, but you have Steve, the storyteller, and that's what, that's what, makes everything so interesting. And one of the first things that happened, you know, Steve's always telling the tidbits from that time. And you can easily rein him in and focus on something and he will tell you things. What you have to understand is like when you hear him talking now, what he's talking about happened over 50 years ago. And that's like, that's hard for some people to understand that like he's trapped all of this. But when I was going to Ted Mac Amateur Hour, I come across uh, Robert Klein's performance. And if you've never heard it, it's interesting. It's a very young Robert Klein who apparently wanted to be a singer. Uh, he just wanted to be in showbiz. But what was so interesting about it is, so I haven't found yet, but I will, that at this point in time, I haven't found the satellites performing. But I know it's September 1957. But guess who I did find? I find Robert Klein performing September 10th, 1957. And Robert Klein keeps coming up in this story because ultimately that's the first person we reach out to to try and attach to the movie, to play Steve now. Like looking back on his life and sort of narrating the story, we went for Robert Klein. That's who we were, that's who we were most interested in. And we start, he becomes a part of this story later, but he and Steve keep crossing paths. And the very first time they cross paths like this is in September of 1957 on the amateur hour. On a Sunday kind of love, Sunday, 
And now, here's Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers and the Bench of Love. As I sit on the bench of love, waiting for you to appear, sitting here all alone, holding back a tear, please come back to joining us this is don't forget me a podcast about scott stevens and the cavaliers music and words are adapted with the permission of scott stevens and the cavaliers we hope you'll continue with us on the rest of this limited series and musical adventure check the show notes to find out more about scott stevens and the cavaliers Welcome to the podcast, Don't Forget Me, about the life and times of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Hi. Hi. I want you to tell me all of your deepest secrets just in a row. (laughs) That won't be uncomfortable, will it? All of my secrets in a row? Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, could you do it sequentially? Do you have, well, you only have four hours? (laughs) Exactly. When do you get a couple of days we can... uh, we spend can some start. time on the beach, and I'll tell you all about it. I would love that. But there's so much more to this. I call it just peeling back the onion. Exactly. Uh, of the book, and there's so much in between that wasn't even written. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to talk about.
Chapter 2. Well, you know, a friend of mine, I wasn't uh, very uh, friendly when I moved into into the Bronx. It was like enemy enemy territory to me. So I stayed in the house for for about a year. And then one day, one day my mother brings a friend, uh, recruits a friend for me to hang out with. And it turned out to be my partner in music, Steve Weil, who uh, went to music and art high school. And he was a great musician and uh, saxophone player and uh we just started singing together as a duet, and then one day we said, well, well, why don't we just form a group? So we interviewed some kids in the neighborhood from the Sedgwick Projects, basically where we all hang out, hung out, mm-hmm. and we got a group of kids together, and then we decided, or Steve's mother decided to get us on Ted Mack's original Amateur Hour. Right, but you and also had a mixed group, one of the first mixed groups, in the sense you had some African-American fellas in there, right? Yes, we had uh, two white guys, two white kids, mm-hmm. and three African-American kids. And uh, we recruited them from uh, one of the guys, Jackie Morgan. Uh, I, I knew him from the choir at, uh, at, at McCombs Junior High School. So I recruited him and uh, two other fellows that uh, lived in the projects. And we formed the, uh, we formed the group. There was, you know, there was, and... You know, I talked to somebody a couple of months ago, a kid, an African-American guy who is now in New York and he's in some musicals in Motown. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, why did you, you know, it would have been so much easier for you to to form a group that was all white so you would be, you know, fairly successful. He said, and I said to him, quite frankly, I was more interested in the quality of the voice than the color of the skin. And that was always the way it was. It would, these were just kids from the neighborhood. If you could sing... You're in. If you can't, doesn't matter what color you are. You're out. <laughs> exactly. And you were looking for the sound of the group itself, right? When you had yeah. the right guys, you knew the sound you wanted, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then we went into the community center and the bathrooms and uh, and and the hallways and got our searching for an echo, and we found it. And then we got on the amateur hour. Uh, we were. Yeah, how did that sound. come about? Well. We, uh, uh, Steve's mother was, uh, she was sort of our den mother, and she decided that we should audition for the Amateur Hour. So the name of the group, we, we formed the group, it was called The Satellites, and we auditioned, and we made the cut for the first show, and we did, um, we did Little Darling by the Diamonds, as a matter of fact. And uh, we, we actually won overwhelmingly that first, that first week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I mean, you came back, to- right? We came back because the winner of the show always has to come back for, uh, for you know, to defend their title. Uh, and if you win three times, then you get into the national uh, finals, uh, where you can get a two thousand dollars scholarship. That was the reward. So we kept, but we came on the second time we came on. The winner of the shows always has to come, always comes on to defend their title at the end of the show. And all of a sudden, they put us on in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we did come go with me uh, by the Del Vikings. And um, we had a fan club by then. There were there were screaming girls in the audience, uh, but we went on first, and we were, had about a two minute uh, piece. And then there was a kid from Mexico who was introduced by the by the son of the ambassador to the United Nations, and they gave this kid a ten minute spot. And I turned around to the guys and I said, "We're not going to win." <laughs> they said, "What do you mean we're not going to win?" I said, "We're not going to win." This, this kid was interviewed by, uh, you know, and introduced by the son of the ambassador to the United Nations, a 10-minute spot. We lost, and sure enough, we lost. Um, but somebody from Ivy Records, Ed Portnoy, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, and uh, he we met him at a at a uh, doo-wop uh, talent show at the Sunnyside Ballroom in Harlem, and he met us there and invited us to go over and uh, audition for Ivy Records, and the rest is history. And it's interesting you mention Ivy because Ivy was uh, part of uh, the career of the Elegance too. Yeah, yeah, he was. Were they but there at the same time you were? Yes, they were, and there's an interesting story about us and the elegant. Well, we want those interesting up. stories, uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always an interesting story, always a twist and turns. So, you know, we used to go out uh, to Ivy Records, and we used to sit in the in the reception area and wait for our turn to go in and, and practice our stuff that we were going to record. And in there were the Elegance and a couple of other groups, and Bobby Hamilton was in in that. Yeah, Bobby recorded and, there too. Sure. Yeah, he recorded, and so we were all in the waiting room, waiting our turn to 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 do the practice sessions. And the Elegance was supposed to come and record with us uh, in the session when we did dance, 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 and they never showed up. And we always wondered why. And it turns out that the managers of the Elegance didn't like the record deal that they were they were they were they were getting from Ivy Records, so they pulled them out of the recording session. Mm-hmm. So what happened then is, uh, Ed Portnoy and, and Ivy sold our master to ABC Paramount, and it was supposed to be, it was the initial release on APT Records, which is a division of AC, ABC Paramount. Right. At the same time, unbeknownst to us, the Elegance manager sold their a master because they went someplace else and they recorded Little Star and they in turn sold their master to Ivy Records, I mean to ABC Paramount at the same time. What happened was they had the initial release of, of Dance, Dance, Dance and you look at Billboard magazine, we were the top and on, in little letters on the bottom of this advertisement, it says also just released Little Star by the Elegance. Now, had we all, rec- we, had we all recorded together, they probably wouldn't have, uh, again, been released on APT Records in the beginning. They may have, uh, you know, done it at, a, at another time. They happened to come out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fruit wanted to play our record and then stopped it for, for some unknown reason. Uh, the Elegance got a couple of more, um, got airtime, and, and the managers of the Elegance finally got them on bandstand, and we, we didn't get on bandstand. And the rest is history. So what exactly is the Amateur Hour? Ted Mack and the original Amateur Hour brought to you by Hazel Bishop Longer Lasting Cosmetics. Hazel Bishop, who tonight makes you one of the most sensational, friend-winning introductory offers of all time. So be sure to keep your pencil and paper handy. Details later. And now, here's the original Amateur Hour with your host, Ted Mack. Good evening, friends. Well, I see a lot of young folks in our audience here tonight, and that's just fine because we've got quite a few youngsters in our show this evening, all ready to bust out with some rock and roll or other teenage tempo, so let's get with them. Tonight, the Wheel of Fortune spins for the 1,122nd time. Round and round she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. We're going to uh, start with four lads with the rock and roll beat from the Bronx here in New York. One of them reminds me of the little fellow with the Scorvins. Do you remember the Scorvins, the the, uh, little boys who uh, chose the name of their group from the cover of a matchbox? (laughs) They went on to uh, quite some achievement here on Off the Amateur Hour. They made records, they made personal appearances, and 
Looks to me maybe history could repeat itself. These are the four wins. All right, boys. To vote for any of tonight's contestants, it's as always. You dial Judson 6-7000. We have 50 operators at our switchboard all ready to take your calls. Out along the network, you send a postal card or a letter to Box 191 Radio City Station. But now, be sure you do it tonight. Let's make 1958 the best year these youngsters ever had. Ever had, And you can do it simply by taking the time out to do a little voting. Here's a contestant from Wheaton, Maryland. We heard about this young fellow from Bernie Harrison, the television critic down in Washington, D.C. He says that John here has quite a voice. This is John Donovan. What do you do for a living, John? I'm an electrician in Washington, D.C., Mr. Mack. Anyone else in your family musical? Yes, my father was a doctor of music at Georgetown University for 30 years. Well, you come by it honestly, don't you? <laughs> Have brothers or sisters? Yes, I'm one of a family of 11. That's quite a brood. You plan to be as big a family man as your dad? Well, I have two little girls of my own, Mr. Mack. Well, you got to run and start anyway. And uh, one on the way. Uh -huh. Well, you might catch up to him before you know it. <laughs> what about this uh, song you're going to do? What are you going to sing? Well, tonight I'm going to sing a song that one of your graduates, Mr. Jerry Bale, has made a big hit record of called Pretend You Don't See Her. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all pretty proud of Jerry. We remember very well when he was on the Amateur Hour. I imagine he felt about like you do. So let's see if the song is lucky for you. Go ahead. Pretend you don't see her, my heart. Although she is coming our way. Look 
Judson 6, 7,000, or Box 191, Radio City Station, in care of Hazel Bishop. Um, as I told you last week, tonight's the last show in our current series for Hazel Bishop Cosmetics, and as a sort of a farewell present to the friends of the Amateur Hour, the Hazel Bishop folks tell me that they're making you a really sensational offer. I hope you've got your pencil and paper handy, because here it is. only you get all four of Hazel Bishop's most popular, longer-lasting cosmetics for only one dollar. Hazel Bishop longer-lasting lipstick. Plus Hazel Bishop complexion glow. Plus Hazel Bishop compact makeup. Plus the sensational new Hazel Bishop liquid makeup. Imagine all four for only one dollar. Why they'd cost you five dollars if you bought them in these regular sizes. But if you act right now, you get all four in generous introductory sizes for only one dollar. Just mail name, address, and dollar bill to Hazel Bishop, Box 82, New York 46, New York. And to get your right shade combination, be sure to tell us the color of your hair. But you must hurry, tonight or tomorrow, sure. Send your name, address, color of your hair, and dollar bill to Hazel Bishop, Box 82, that's Box 82, New York 46, New York. Isn't that terrific? All four of Hazel Bishop's longer-lasting cosmetics for only $1. Now, if you didn't have your paper and pencil handy, you better get it right now, because we'll repeat the exciting details again before we come to the end of tonight's show. When I, when I sat down to put all this together, I pointed out that it's sort of a time machine. And one of the things that's so highly interesting about this is that the satellites get their start on the original Amateur Hour, which was a radio and television program that ran from... So the, the radio part ran from the 30s, like 33 it gets started. It runs from 34 all the way to 1945. And then at that point, major... Edward Bowles, the guy, the, the guy that ran the Amateur Hour, he gives up the show, and he actually ends up dying in uh, 1946. But the show is brought to television by Ted Mack in 1948. And here's what, here's what it is in a nutshell. It's American Idol. It's like America's Got Talent or Star Search, everywhere you want to start. Like, like these shows still exist today, but this is one of the original versions of it. And this version... Is, it really is a time machine. I got to go through all of these different years, specifically 1957, 1958, 1959, because those are years that are important to our story. And when you sit down and start going through it, you get to see like a really good idea of what the time and place is like. But where we're really lucky is that we had Steve. And Steve is a fantastic singer and songwriter, but he's a really good storyteller. 
And he remembers all of this. He remembers living this. And that part was invaluable to putting together the place and time of the movie. Well, so one of the things we discussed earlier was trying to get a sense of sort of the muscle behind some of the emotional muscle behind some of the events, mm -hmm. you know, and you wrote beautifully about what happened. And we want to know more, I think, about how it felt and how right. the relationships, the intricacies of the relationships in terms of your family, in terms of the, the group, the people you felt, you know, the, the point at which there were, I'm just doing a broad overview to start, but the points at which you felt sort of alienation, the points at which you felt like, I like that guy, but this one, you know, and of course it's not always gonna be on the record and, you know, forever, mm -hmm. you're gonna still have impunity around that, but just knowing it so we know sort of the emotional engine behind this. Right. Um, and so if we're starting at the starty start, I would love to know more about how you found music in your, like what, Okay. Like, and what it feels like to you, like what, when did, what it felt like when you found a home in music, when you discovered you loved it. Interesting, interesting. Um, my father used to bring home a lot of records mm -hmm. and, and, and play records for me. Um, and we, every, every Sunday we'd sit in front of the, the record player, which was in the living room, and he'd bring, back, bring home the latest music, whether it was Broadway shows with mm -hmm. Ethel Merman or or just uh, new songs that are coming out. So we had, I don't know where he got a constant supply of music, but he always used to bring it home. Mm. And I, I really started to empathize with, um, with, with the singers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I started imitating the singers that he played that, when he brought the records home. Uh, <laughs> I remember as a kid, my exposure to music, uh, he, he used to listen to opera. So, um, you know, he and it was live at the, at the Metropolitan Opera on radio because we didn't have television at the time. We just had the radio, um, and um, I remember we were listening to opera one day, um, and they're, they're leading, they're taking the the female lead off to jail because she just murdered mm -hmm. the lead. And I, I turned around to my father. I said, "Where did they get all the replacement opera singers when they kill these people <laughs> off?" <laughs> so it, it's interesting the, the the imagination you have as a kid. Absolutely. But I truly started to fall in love with music when I started to go to synagogue. Mm -hmm. um, my parents weren't religious, but they always insisted that I go to Hebrew school and eventually get be bar mitzvah. And I started to, my best friend Stevie Scheinman, who lived down the street. Uh, he used to take me to temple when he went to temple, especially on the high holidays, because my parents really didn't go. Mm -hmm. um, and we went in on a high holiday and I heard the cantor singing Kol Nidre the first time and I, I, I said, yeah, I, I, would, I wanted to be a cantor. Mm -hmm. But music for me was, um, it was my hiding place because I, I had a pretty rough childhood and my sanctuary began to be the music. When I sang my music or when I was into music or listening to music, it just took me to another place. And that's how I started to begin this journey with music and how it affected my life mm -hmm. um, until I started to record and, and get into show business and take it from there. But it, it was based on a lot of things that were going on in my family, especially with my father and, uh, and our treatment as, as my brother and I as treatment mm -hmm. in the house growing up and uh, the household we were into, which was totally dysfunctional. <laughs> so, bottom line, it was my escape. I had 
all sorts of things that were going on with me. I, mm -hmm. I you know, I had, I had, I was stuttering. Uh, I, I, I was bedwetting. I had problems going to school. I was actually um, kicked out of kindergarten. I was expelled from kindergarten. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a feat. <laughs> but I was kind of a wise ass. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember the time I was in kindergarten, and of course I was always the tallest kid in the class, and the teacher said, Glazer, I want you to come up here and show people how to climb a rope for, for a gym. We used to have the ropes in the gyms to climb up. So she hands, she goes over to the window, and she takes on all, they had window poles to open the windows. Mm -hmm. She says, Glazer, I'd like to, you to climb up this window pole and show them how to climb up the rope. I looked at her and I said, it's not a rope, it's a window pole. She said, I don't care what it is, I told you to climb up the window pole, like a rope. I said, it's not a rope, it's a window pole, and I'm going to hurt myself. So she pulls me by the ear and she says, Glazer, I told you to climb up the window pole. She pulled me by the ear, I kicked her in the leg, I went down to the principal's office, I was, I was expelled from kindergarten. <laughs> So, you know, this, this is Steve's story, but you have Steve, the storyteller, and that's what, that's what makes everything so interesting. And one of the first things that happened, you know, Steve's always telling the tidbits from that time. And you can easily rein him in and focus on something, and he will tell you things. What you have to understand is, like, when you hear him talking now, what he's talking about happened over 50 years ago. And that's, like, that's hard for some people to understand that like he's trapped all of this. But when I was going to Ted Mac Amateur Hour, I come across uh, Robert Klein's performance. And if you've never heard it, it's interesting. It's a very young Robert Klein who apparently wanted to be a singer. Uh, he just wanted to be in showbiz. But what was so interesting about it is, so I haven't found yet, but I will, that at this point in time, I haven't found the satellites performing, but I know it's September, 1957. But guess who I did find? I find Robert Klein performing September 10th, 1957. And Robert Klein keeps coming up in this story because ultimately that's the first person we reach out to to try and attach to the movie, to play Steve now. Like looking back on his life and sort of narrating the story, we went for Robert Klein. That's who we were, that's who we were most interested in. And we start, he becomes a part of this story later, but he and Steve keep crossing paths. And the very first time they cross paths like this, is in September of 
And now, here's Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers and the Bench of Love. As I sit on the bench of love, waiting for you to appear, sitting here all alone, holding back a tear, please come back to Holland. I really, really love you so Someone else who dare I love you, darling Please don't go astray I really love you I'll never, never go away Well, please be mine I love you so I need you, darling More than you'll ever know I need you, darling Closer every day Thanks for joining us. This is Don't Forget Me, a podcast about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. Music and words are adapted with the permission of Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers. We hope you'll continue with us on the rest of this limited series and musical adventure. Check the show notes to find out more about Scott Stevens and the Cavaliers.